This podcast series is supported by members at Patreon. If you want to support this podcast series, head to patreon.com forward slash Cascadian Beer. When it comes to perfecting your beer, the focus shouldn't just be about maximizing efficiency, but minimizing the undesirables. Welcome to the Cascadian Beer Podcast. My name is Aaron and I'm a Cascadian. I have a background in radio and television broadcasting. I'm a music producer and I have a passion for beer. I don't consider myself to be an expert in beer by any means, but I do enjoy and respect the craft and the passion of these brewmasters. I want to learn from these pioneers and what sets them apart from the rest and why they choose to call Cascadia their home. Cascadia is a bioregion in the Pacific Northwest on the North American continent. It is made up of the U.S. states of Washington and Oregon, as well as the Canadian province of British Columbia. In this podcast series, I'll be profiling the unique breweries of Cascadia, a region that has a strong presence on the international beer scene. In this episode, I'm in Washington State visiting Chuckanut Brewery in Bellingham. This operation has seen such growth they have recently opened another production facility to meet demand. My name is Will Kemper. My wife, Mari, and I own Chuckanut Brewery, and I'm the brewmaster. But this isn't your first time in beer, is it? No, this is, I've set up well over 20 facilities around the world, and I've consulted on several more, so quite a few. Mm-hmm. But you did start a brewery a number of years ago in, in the state, didn't you? Yeah, actually, we started one of the first craft breweries uh, in the United States in the 1984. We did something called Thomas Kemper. I think at that time, there were approximately 29 craft breweries in the United States. And that, Washington was a, was a state with the most craft breweries of any state. And I think we had all of like six or seven. But the other breweries, uh, Burt Grant and uh, Red Hook, those were the first two. And I, they opened up a year, maybe two years prior. But it was in the air. It was fascinating because we really didn't have, uh, we had Thomas Kemper and the other folks. It was not that we had connections and, hey, let's do that. It, the other breweries and, and uh, startups were basically operating independently. So there was just individuals out there at that time that wanted to start their own brewery. Was there a significant law change or something that brought this Well, up? actually, there was a significant law change earlier, and it goes back to Jimmy Carter time when he actually put in place a law that homebrew was legal. And based upon that, then so many people got into it. I personally got into it in the uh, latter part of 1970s where uh, my wife commented that, uh, well, and she pointed out, Will, you like beer so much, why don't you make it? So I was a home brewer for several years before I went uh, pro- professional. Was that inspiration, like with Red Hook and everything, kind of the kickstart for you as well? Well, uh, first of all, why is addressing Carter, the legality. So you can actually do things in a legal sense. And then that made it so much easier. One, one thing led to the other. And so how long were you at Thomas Kempler then? 
We were at Thomas Kemper for approximately four to five years. And then where did you go after that? After that, well, we actually started Thomas Kemper. By the way, Thomas Kemper is two families, the Thomases and the Kempers. And we worked uh, there for a while. And uh, then we we left and we had a non-compete with Thomas Kemper. And our, Thomas Kemper was sold from uh, Washington State up to Alaska, Colorado, down California and Oregon. So I went to the East Coast. I worked in facilities there as well as some in the Midwest. You said you went around the world. Like, what are the more interesting or like odd places that you've set up a brewery in? Well, uh, I set up a couple of breweries in Mexico. And I guess the oddest place, I set up a brew pub and a production brewery in Istanbul, Turkey. So uh, we actually lived there a few years with those particular projects. So what made you want to come back to the Pacific Northwest? This was actually from Istanbul. And we had a facility... Uh, well, we, our house was, was on Chuckanut Mountain, and we had had that for many years. Uh, many Much prior to then, I was working with a group, and we had breweries uh, from New York to Colorado, California, Washington, Oregon, etc. And I was overseeing those uh, facilities, and so it didn't matter where we lived. And so we had good friends who lived in Bellingham, so we bought property on Chuckanut at that time and built a house. Then after I left that employment, then as a matter of going overseas and uh, working there, we tried a couple of times to get another brewery going in Bellingham, but th- nothing really came together. So I had to do consulting work and projects elsewhere. But that's what brought us back to Bellingham was we have a facil- a ha- our own house on uh, Chuckanut where we overlook Puget Sound and it's rather idyllic. So Shazam, let's, st- let's start a brewery in Bellingham. This was 2008, right? 2008 is when the brewery first opened, and we came back in 2007, and so it took us about a year to get it uh, going at that time. We opened in June 2008, and in September, the financial collapse occurred, so that made life really interesting. And you're a brewery, like I've seen some other interviews that you've done where you're really proud of the uh, brew house. Uh, What is unique about your brew house at Chuckanut? Uh, the reason being here is that for myself, I have a degree in chemical engineering, so I'm an engineer. However, I'm first and foremost a brewer. So I'm a brewer who designs brew houses for the sake of brewing, as opposed to being told as a brewer what I should like from the engineer. So my perspective is from the brewery bottom line beer. So what we do here is when I work with uh, manufacturers for the brew house, I basically work with engineering drawings and designs with certain considerations from a brewer's perspective as, as opposed to a fabricator's perspective. So that makes the difference. And so there are a few innovative things that uh, we put in place with our brew house that most brewers do not. And secondly, the fineness of what we do and the approach with each step is uh, each step is very seriously considered. So when you look at the brew house situation, the vessel should uh, represent what you're trying to do. And finally, then, we also do computerization with our facility. And and by the way, we do all internal computerization, so we don't rely on any outside contractors for that. So we can set up and we can expand. We can work with, uh, if we have issues, we can work internally with that. 
So what makes Chuck Nut Brew Houses very different is that it is has the design, but more so, it's possibly about the most computerized, controlled small brewery in the nation, if not the world. But there's still a manual process to it, right? It's not like you can just push a go button and then it just kind of does its thing in the corner, right? And You push buttons and they open. But the manual aspect is what we do here is that uh, by being able to do that, then we're able to focus. We're able to use our, our minds more so for the sake of brewing instead of too often in a brew house in particular, I refer to as a fire mentality. So people run around, they have to do so many physical things and there can be easily tr- distractions in that and difficulties as well. So here at Chuckanut, we use modern capability and that's the point, capability. So we use this and we'll continue to use it because it's such a positive tool. But as far as the human side of it, oh, yes, there are certain aspects that you can't really automate. The quality of your boil, for example, we use some we use a, a person, an old style, it's referred to as a kettleman. So he's up there and he's evaluating that boil for the most vigorous boil, not to the point of a boil over where that could be hazardous. So yeah, there are the human aspects involved. And I would say it suggests each step. What happens is there's such a closeness of monitoring of each step. Yes, the procedures, the techniques are made easier, but it's a human involved in each step to oversee what's going on. So what is the size of the brew house at your original location in Bellingham? Well, the size is a a 10 barrel. And this one down here in in, uh, Skagit's a 20 barrel. But when you talk in terms of sizing, that's too casually given as far as numbers, 10, 20, 50, whatever. And more often than not, when you discuss that sizing, it goes from a start of manufacturing. In other words, it's sized for so much in the in the kettle, for example. And oftentimes those are used for sizing. Well, going through the entire brewing process, you'll only realize something like 80% of your start volume because you have boil, you know, evaporation. You also have transfers. So, yeah, you, you can realize a little bit more, but it's absurd to suggest you could. It's absurd to suggest you can have 100%. So the sizing that I'm giving you is for finished beer. What happens here is we sell finished beer at a certain volume, so it's sized for the finishing as opposed to the beginning. And so with that computer process, like you said, you, you can lose stuff and transfers. You can, you know, just beer just evaporates. Uh, do you have a higher efficiency in your brew house than a normal brewery because of that? I think we probably have a bit less efin- efficiency compared to uh, ideal consideration because we focus not so much for efficiency, but for quality. And sometimes you can have some sacrifice if you focus too much on efficiency. But what you want to do, you know, it goes back to when you manufacture beer, at the end, you'll, you'll have hopefully the desired product. There's some undesirable. Look at it like sculpting. You carve away on your on your piece of uh, whatever you're sculpting. Do you finish with 100%? Of course not. You work away what you do not want to get what you do want. And so that's why you're left with less. You don't do the crazy IPAs and the, you know, coffee espresso stout thing. You're, you're sticking to traditional ales. Why did you want to focus on just doing kind of traditional German and English style beers with your brewery? We do that sometimes as a matter of, um, first of all, to be different. If everybody else in God's creation is doing the same one thing, why do you want to get involved in that? So that's one thing is to differentiate itself. You know, why be a Me Too player? Why be a Me Too player? 
Lead a unique life. Enjoy what's going on. Okay, that's number one. Number two, I've been fortunate in that I've had to travel all over the world for the sake of beer. I've had some pretty good beer. And so I like to, if I can, give these styles and these types of beers, you know, expose them to the consumer. I think that's wonderful to expand their experience, to expand their palate, to expand their uh, understanding and knowledge, which I know is going to be beneficial for chucking a beer. And finally, it also goes back to the science of taste. What happens is that when you talk about tasting and perception, humans vary considerably between uh, non-sensitive and hypersensitive. You know, everybody's experience with tasting a beer is very, very different. Well, there's reasons for that. And I feel I'm probably a bit more hypersensitive in my palate, and I've had the fortune of being able to taste so many beautifully crafted beers that that's what my target is. So it's kind of a combination of things. Now, one other thing in regards to that, and we will expand our product line. Up in Bellingham, we could only do so much because we've been at capacity for so long. But down here in Skagit, we'll produce a lot more styles and we will open it up. And we're kind of excited about that. But one reason that we did not do those beers really at the beginning was when we came back and we were, I was discussing it with hop, hop suppliers in particular about the, what we're going to do. And I approached them this was in 2007, and they didn't want to sell me hops because there was a nature of a consolidation within the hop industry. So if they didn't want to sell me hops, well, okay, I know where to buy hops elsewhere, but it really focused in on certain styles in order to optimize those particular hops. So that's another another reason that we did our certain styles. Oh, we would have, con- yeah, we would have done those the styles we do right now, and we're going to continue with that the, these styles. But we're going we're going to do others as well. And there's also just something good to be said of just going taking it back to basics, right? And just really crisp lager or really nice pilsner. And there's just something really nice about that as as well. It is. It's one you know, and and professional brewers recognize that by the way, because they understand what is involved, whether it's the time, you know, two, three times more more time involved in it, whether or not the concern for proper cold conditioning, things like that. But then ultimately, yes, it's how the beer goes down, you know, how you appreciate that. So to sit there and have a beer and it goes down and the ideas say, wow, that was good. I'll have another one as opposed to having to fight the beer. And that's the thing too, is that, you know, well, also as a professional brewer, what happens is you brew so that people will have an easy time drinking it versus not. And so you opened in 2008, and shortly after that, you actually won Small Brewery of the Year at uh, the Great American Beer Festival, right? What was that experience like um, to get that fast of a recognition of of the product well, that you were it, putting out? Yeah, actually, it was Small Brew Pub of the Year. And that was the first contest I've really entered um, because uh, it was suggested that we, sh- that we should. Okay, fine. So we went back there and uh, entered it and... Uh, Shazam, we walked away with Small Brew Pub of the Year. So we won gold medals and silvers. Uh, What was also interesting, it was all in the lager category. And that, nobody didn't come close to that, uh, winning such an award 
in a logger categories. So that was rather gratifying to do that. And uh, what it was like, well, it's kind of nice being recognized as, uh, yeah, this beer is really good and going up and getting all those awards. And then two years later, what happened is that uh, most of our beers, instead of being sold at the uh, within the pub, we were now selling the vast majority of our beers outside the pub. So we were in the category small brewing company. And we we're fortunate enough to win well enough that we won small brewing company of the year in 2011 as well. So have the majority of the beers you made meddled in, in certain categories? Actually, those times, yeah. Uh, you're asking majority of the beers we entered, yes, they won. Right. <laughs> so when uh, did the kind of overcapacity happen in Bellingham? Did, that take a, did it take a while to build up a following there, or was it pretty much kind of overnight? No, it, it, it took a while. Uh, as I said, we opened in 2008, and then the financial crisis hit. And that meant that the retail establishment, including our own, it, you know, they suffered quite a bit. So it was hard. So we went went to, uh, to Seattle in particular to uh, in order to uh, sell our beers. We just have to, you know, our living is making, making and selling beer, not just sitting around and making beer and drinking beer. <laughs> yeah. So we ended up, because the, the Bellingham facility didn't have enough business, that's what forced us to go outside. Now, after we went outside and the reception we received, it grew and grew. And we've essentially been at capacity uh, for several years now. But it took it took a while. Yeah. So we're just down the road a bit from Bellingham and Burlington. Um, how did this facility, and this is your south facility, how did this come about? It was actually a combination of things. Uh, we were looking two, three years prior to moving here for facilities because we knew we had to expand production. We just can't reasonably make any more beer in, in Bellingham. It is a kind of a tiny lot that you're on. It, it is, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's set up to basically do the brew pub as opposed to the production facility. So, you know, so it's, it's more of a, yeah, retail consideration. Then, uh, as I mentioned two, three years ago, we started looking to move as large because our market was in Seattle. We were looking more so in the Seattle area. We had a couple of uh, intent to leases, but they all fell through. And so then a year to two years ago, we were approached by Skagit Valley Malting because they wanted us to do some beers with their malt. And we came to visit them. One thing led to the next, and they hooked us up with the port of Skagit. And the suggestion, well, why don't you build here? Hmm, okay. So they were very, you know, it was wonderful, uh, the, the leasing situation and, and just the excitement that they had for us to be here. So we decided to do it. They, uh, we have a good situation that we can expand much, much, much more than what we are in Bellingham. And secondly, we're about a city block's distance from Skagit Valley Malting. So I was talking about the beers that we're going to be doing before we really couldn't work with them because we'd, we'd been at capacity, so it was pointless to create other beers and styles working with the malts. But now going forward, we hope to have a, a, a product line that includes Skagit Valley Malt because the distinctiveness of what they're doing, I, I think it's wonderful. Do many locals make it out to this site? Because you do have a tap room downstairs. Yeah. Oh. No, no, no. It, but it's set up to make beer, not to do mm -hmm. the retail thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you know, we'll, we'll make it grow and we could do things, you know, real, it's exciting what we can do as far as events and things later on. Mm -hmm. But it's set up for a brewery. It's set, that's the thing. And if you look at breweries that it's set up, 
whether big breweries or craft breweries, especially large craft breweries. Large craft breweries, they're in a place where they can grow. And that's the important thing because you need the land in order to make, a, you know, the manufacturing site. So we're on acreage here. That's going to enable us to do a lot. So no, the, the retail thing, that you know, it's wonderful. And we hope people can come down and really see what we're doing and experience our beers. But it's a, a matter of, no, we're here because the idea here is to make beer. Mm-hmm. With that, I mean, it's always it's always hard to ask a brewer this question, but what is one of your favorite beers that you make that you can just have? That any, we make? Yeah, that any day of the week. Well, um, you know, that's like, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, my favorite is the Hellas, by the way, uh, but but as a generalized thing. But when you talk about beer and beer styles, mm-hmm. it's like food. Do you like lobster? Great. Do you want to eat lobster every day? Well, maybe some people, but I prefer to, to expand to have steak, have Chinese food, Indian food, whatever. That's why we make the different styles. Who in the uh, local area, because, I mean, you did say you don't get to explore much, but who inspires you with what they're doing in terms of the beer they're, they're making locally? Well, a lot of folks, but I, I want to say Mike at Farm, uh, Farmstrong uh, because he's doing something very distinctive and he's, he's um, as far as his, his sours in particular, and I love what he's doing. The others, uh, you know, whether Mike or, or others, uh, other breweries, you know, they, they don't do a lot of what we do, and I appreciate that. And hopefully, you know, it, it, it's a big, wide, wonderful world for us all to be in it positively. You've been here, you opened a brewery, you went away, came back. Were you surprised when you came back to the Pacific Northwest just how many breweries have developed in, in that time that you've been away? Actually, yeah. I mean, I didn't think of it in that sense, but the market, I'm going to give you a story. When we started Thomas Kemper, my wife, Mari, she took our samples. And by the way, we did European styles at that time too for Thomas Kemper. She took samples to accounts and uh, they rejected them because it was too soon in the craft market because Shazam, these these samples had color, they had body, they had wonderful malt to them, but they were not like a common uh, uh, mainstream U.S. large mass producer beer. And that was the nature. Okay, we went away and then we came back. And then in two, you know, 2007, eight, no, it'd be 2008. Then, then she took samples to other accounts in this area. They weren't well received either because these weren't hoppy enough. They weren't bizarre enough. They weren't strange enough. So essentially the same geographical area, the products that were brought to the, to the accounts were pretty similar. Essentially, the, you know, let's say essentially the same. But we got rejection, but it's 180 degrees as far as a consideration. Well, that's the beer business. You know, it's going to continually change. If somebody was wanting to open up their own brewery, what would be some advice that you'd, you'd give them uh, before starting down the path? Most definitely. The beer business is more than beer. That's the biggest thing. That is the biggest comment, I'd say, because, uh, you know, it's wonderful making beer. And beer is pure. It's a wonderful thing. But I guess like any business um, and other considerations, uh, understand that. So um, you can make wonderful beer, and let's hope you do make wonderful beer, because what's the point otherwise? If you don't make wonderful beer, you're competing with me then for quality. <laughs> but the beer business is much more than beer. So um, that would be my advice. And for the home brewers out there, what are some simple things that they could be doing um, to be making better beer for themselves? Oh, yeah. Okay. And this is the approach we do. Think in terms, when you talk in terms of flavor and what you want, there are positive and negative flavors. 
Realize that. There are undesirables. Realize that. And so what you want to do is, once again, it goes back to sculpting. You want to work away and you want to have the high concentration. You work for the positive flavors. If there's negative flavors, no, you get rid of negative flavors. An easy example. So for the sake of, of you know, you have solids due to yeast that's settled. And if you have transfer from, from fermentation to conditioning, don't jeopardize the quality of your beer to try to eke out a little bit more of which you have, you know, your, your, your settled material, your yeast that falls out. What you can do, for example, to show this is taste that. Taste that. Is that a positive taste attribute? If it is, fine. But if, if it's what you're tasting, you don't want that in your product, and a lot of this stuff you do not want in your product, get rid of it. Optimize positive. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much to Will for his time on a very busy day at the production facility, and also Mari, who uh, helped me organize the interview with Will. Thanks to you both. Really appreciate it. If you want to learn more about Chuckin' Up Brewery, you can go to their website at chuckin'upbreweryandkitchen.com. Excellent beers. Recommend them all. If you enjoyed this episode or enjoy this series in general and would like to support this independently produced podcast series, you can do so at Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash Cascadian beer. For as little as a dollar an episode, you can help me continue to make this show. I'm so excited because this is episode 21 of the Cascadian Beer Podcast, which means this podcast series is now old enough to enjoy the beer that it talks about. <laughs> if you want to continue to follow us, you can by going to cascadian.beer. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Cascadian Beer. And we're on Twitter at Cascadian Beer. Until next time, remember, support your local.